Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast in episode number 38. My name is Damien Ross, and besides being the host of this podcast, I'm also the publisher of a digital nomad magazine called Rootless Living. I do want to take a moment to remind you to head over to rootlessliving.com and grab a free digital subscription to the Rootless Living magazine. And if you want, you can actually purchase the print magazine as well. Today, I'm talking to Steve and Erica, the duo behind Radar Road Warriors. And we discuss what it took to sell their motocross track business and hit the road full time while working two very unique jobs. But like always, before I say too much, let's get into the episode. All right. With that, I want to welcome Steve and Erica to the show. How are you guys? We're doing great, Damien. How are you? I'm hanging in there. You know, little little technical difficulties at the start of the show, which is part of the nomadic lifestyle, but all fun. We got it all worked out. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're excited. I am too. So where are you guys right now in the world? We are currently in Bad Axe, Michigan. We're in the thumb. Nice. I'm actually, you're pretty close then because I'm. I saw uh, that on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, are you in Michigan too? I am. I am. I'm just probably like an hour north of Detroit. We're about an hour and a half north of Detroit. We should have made, met up for lunch. It's been easier than the phone call <laughs> trying to do. <laughs> we could have done this live. I haven't done a live podcast yet. That we could have done. Now, what do you guys consider yourselves? Full-timers, part-timers, some-timers? We are 100% full-time. That's awesome. And what are you guys traveling in? We have a 2020 open range to 371 MBH fifth wheel. So when did you guys start full-time? We started officially where we could be on the road traveling would be July 8th, but we moved back into our last camper in November, the week of Thanksgiving. July 8th, uh, 2019? No, 2020. 2020. Oh, okay. Wow. Yes, okay. we are fresh. You are. You're like within just the first couple months. That's awesome. Well, I'm excited about that. Well, then let's go back to just kind of before July and what were you guys doing? What were you living in? And let's talk about how you transitioned into a, an RV and full-time nomadic lifestyle. Well, this is a fun story. We'll have Steve kick it off. So we're going to back up to 2019. And we previously owned a dirt racetrack in Auburn, Michigan, and we sold the business in December. So on the racetrack property was a apartment building that we had. So that sold with the racetrack business. At that well, point, we were homeless. <laughs> it, was a, it was an old scoring tower that we renovated into an apartment. So once we sold the business, we needed to live somewhere else. We were already looking towards being full-time RVing before the business sold. And we transitioned into moving into our toy hauler travel trailer. That was in the winter of Michigan. Our, my mom's house, there's a large pole barn shed, which is partially heated. We put the camper inside of that so we can bear the winter in Michigan once it warmed up we moved into our fifth bill, which we purchased over the winter and become full-time just recently. That's amazing. Did you have any RV? Well, hold on real quick before I ask that question. So you guys lived on a racetrack and like, <laughs> that's amazing just in itself. Were there races still going on or you just bought the property? Oh no, that's the whole story. This is a whole story. We can get into uh, that now. In 2010, I bought the abandoned dirt racetrack it wasn't raced on for six years prior to that. It took 18 months to renovate. And in the middle of 2011, that is when I opened the racetrack after the 18 months of renovations. At that point was the first time I seen Erica. 
she worked for the Midland Area Chamber of Commerce, did the ribbon cutting for the business, and a couple years later, we started dating. One year later. One year later. It was July 8th. July 8th is my day. That's the day I'm, his ribbon cutting was. A year later, we started dating on July 8th, and that's the day we went full time. Wow. So Erica definitely knows all the dates. <laughs> you see, I was very busy during that time, so things get mixed up for me. In 2015, Erica left the Chamber of Commerce, started working for the business full-time. Erica was working both jobs. It was getting to be too much of trying to do both at once. So she came on full-time with the business, and I was still putting in 100 hours a week, and Erica was only putting in 60 hours of the business versus 40 hours of the business and 40 hours at her normal day job. And then we're going to fast forward a little bit into 2019 when we sold the um, business. So it was kind of a 10-year time frame of owning and operating a dirt racetrack. Wow. And that's a ton of hours too, though. I mean, I mean, I, I believe you when you say 100 hours a week and that's so much time consuming to work. And then obviously, Erica, at some, at some point working both jobs. And I have chamber experience in my background too. And I know how much time that takes. So that's just a lot going on. What was the driving force to, was that the driving force to get out of kind of the, that business or was there something else? The driving force got out of the racetrack business kind of worked its way towards that over the years. You know, I love building things. What I figured out towards the end of their racing career, knowing that I love working on projects and building things. We did a lot of that from 2000. 10 all the way through 2019 and the property was at the finished stage at that point for us so the products dwindling down it was more focused on just the racing and I enjoyed the project more than the racing itself the racing is it was a Friday night so you race one night a week from April through September so you had four nights a, week, a month that you would attempt to make money on and it was very weather dependent and the racing atmosphere was something that over time it started to grow on you of not wanting to go into the drama that comes with racing and high tempers and everything else that happened on the racing night so we have some friends that are race that we got along with great and there are some people who could be a thorn in your side and then they would be replaced by another thorn in your side throughout the time and we just got tired of that lifestyle and wanted to move on to something where we could be more relaxed and freedom where we didn't have to live in a drama lifestyle. And what really gets you is like Steve would put in 80 hours would be a minimum, 100 when everything broke that you have to fix and you would work all week and then you wouldn't go do anything with any of your friends. You couldn't go to any of the events because everything had to be ready so you could race on Friday and then you get one rainstorm in it takes away your whole profits because you can't open or you get rained out and you get tired of it after a while. In 2019, we had to, we had about 19 or 18 races scheduled and eight of them were whether it got rained out or the ground was soaked because the water table and the, uh, the ground wouldn't go down. And so the water won't drain. And when you're a dirt track it, on clay, it just makes a, you can't operate on it. It's not like a paved track. Yeah. And I got to figure that I mean, the timing probably was pretty incredible too, just because oh. <laughs> of what's going on right now. I mean, you there's no live events. There's no races going on anywhere right now, right? 
you know, people think that we had some sort of a crystal ball to know this was going to happen and the timing wise worked out, but I think that God had different plans for us and wanted us to go different directions of what we're going towards now. And at the end of 2019 in Michigan, in the fall, right after we closed, there was some mosquito outbreak where they didn't want anyone going outside at dusk for sports. And that's, so it was like just another thing that we said, what else could happen? Like we, I want to be done with this between rain, mother nature, flooding, now this mosquito outbreak, and then look, a pandemic hit. Wow, you guys really did dodge some bullets, that's for sure. Well, I want to come back to work, but usually that's kind of more in the middle of the show, but I thought this was a good kickoff point. So did you guys have RV experience before, or was this like your first RV? Take me back to any experience you might have had. Well, I'm going to start. I was a tent camper and I only walked into an RV like three times and I keep forgetting about this. I told, I asked Steve a little bit ago, does it bother you like we're living full time in an RV? And he says, remember when you met me at the racetrack, I live in a camper and I put it inside the shed. And I was like, oh, I totally forgot about that. I used to tell people it was a good thing he was homeless when I met him so he could move into my apartment with me. So he lived in an RV when I met him, but my brain doesn't connect those two as what we're doing and what he was doing was pretty much the same thing. So technically I full-time in an RV for three years, but to me that seemed like I full-time because the, I bought the fifth wheel camper in 2019 before I had started the renovations on the racetrack and I moved the camper to the property and it sat there. It was warm in summertime and it was getting cold for Michigan to winter an RV is very difficult at that point. So I built a, what I call the wood shack around the building. So it was a heat barrier so the heat would would freeze the pipes and the tanks inside the RV. And I left it in the side of the building. I built the building so I could take the end wall off. There wasn't a door on it. So I'd actually unscrew the wall and I pulled the fifth wheel out in 2000, end of 2012 yeah. it was, when I moved in with Erica. So I lived in, never even thought I was full-time in an RV. I just knew I was sleeping somewhere close to where I was working because I would, during the renovation time frame. I would work till two, three in the morning to back up at six. So it was versus driving three hours back to where a home bed was. Yeah, it is one of those conversations or talking points where people say they're full timers and are they actually traveling? Like my grandmother towards after retirement had this amazing like double wide that I didn't even as a kid realize was technically a trailer. Like it wasn't until I climbed underneath and I saw tires and I remember coming out and being like, grandma, why does your house have tires? (laughs) These things were built so much differently than when you're thinking like a a trailer, let's say, or trailer park, you can tell that those are like mobile homes. This one, I I had no clue. I really thought, I mean, I talk about it now that my grandma basically had a double wide and I think people think kind of that kind of trailer, but I know that she never really called herself a full-time RVer just because her home had wheels to it. So it's one of those things people go back and forth. So no travel experience in an RV, but some living experience in an RV. I do like you pointed out that when you went camping, it's tent camping. I, I agree with that. We talk about that on the show a lot as full-time RVers. We don't really think what we're doing is camping. We're basically traveling with a condo. Now, obviously you guys have the same rig that you started with, but obviously not the rig that you were using at the racetrack. What made you guys decide the rig that you have? What made you lean towards purchasing that one? Well, first we had a toy hauler and we had, it was through a sponsorship 
and we li that's what we lived in when we moved over to Bad Axe and put it in the shed. And that was too small. It wasn't big enough for full time. It had like the smaller fridge, not a lot of room to walk around the bed. So we knew for the two months that we were living in it, looking for RVs that we needed something that would be more comfortable. So we figured out everything that annoyed us and what we were looking for in an RV. Well, Steve's like you. He's really tall. He's five six. I'm up 6'5". Or 6'5". <laughs> I'm 5'6". Um, so when we were looking for RVs, when we go to RV shows, we could quickly found out that try to put him in the shower and see if he fits because he doesn't fit in most of them. And even some of the RVs, when we were walking into them, he would hit his head. They put a smoke detector in the hallway and he couldn't even fit down the hallway. So we had to figure out what RVs he could fit in. So we went to a Facebook group, asked what brands and people gave us some suggestions. So we started looking at those and then we realized some RVs are made for full-time and some are seasonal. And we really needed to look at the ones that were for full-time that had bigger areas. But basically Steve had to be able to stand up in the RV. So that really narrowed the category down. This. <laughs> I'm sure you're very familiar with Damien about being tall in an RV is those two things don't go together. Yeah, every time I talk to a manufacturer, I'm always like, hey, how come you guys can't, instead of building a slide out, build a slide up? Like, why can't my shower area slide to like eight feet tall? I don't get it. Mm -hmm. They have like a little pop-up that's just there on the top. And it, they do look at me like, ooh, that's not a bad idea. But then they also say the demographic of people six, five and over is probably not a big deal to them. But yeah, I was a class A guy. Like, I was like, ooh, I want a class A. I'd never RV'd before. Uh, we went to a RV show. Really quickly, I learned you know, for an RV that I would feel comfortable standing and walking in, a Class A, I should say, was just ridiculously expensive, and I had to buy almost new. And literally, the first fifth wheel I walked into is the one that I own, where I was just like, oh, I love this. And I've been in hundreds probably since, and I've never been, oh, man, I got the wrong floor plan for me. And that's always felt really good. But you are right. It is really tough. RVing is not really made for guys 6'5 and over. It's not. <laughs> You know, it's same thing with like trying to be a pilot or just anything. There's certain things you just can't do at six, five and over really comfortably. But this one happens to work out pretty good. And it sounds like you guys were able to find something too. Oh, I wanted a toy hauler, but my, our side by side is almost 14 foot. So I had to have a really big toy hauler, which took away from the bedroom and Steve's head. He could fit in the shower, but it wouldn't be comfortable. So we went with the, this floor plan to make him happy. <laughs> and what we found is some of them that had a rear bedroom and shower with the eight foot tall ceiling in the fifth wheel. Then they would have a huge entertainment center in the front with three couches around and we barely even use a TV. So that was not on our list of wanting any sort of a big entertainment area. We wanted it functional for what we needed. We found a fifth wheel that had a tall enough ceiling to walk towards the front and I could fit in the shower and everything it worked just right. So to this point, I haven't had a problem at all. But you guys don't currently have a toy hauler, right? No. Yeah, that's what I thought. Just trying to, to track it. Because I was going to ask that. I mean, is there is motocross kind of something you guys both still do? Drive motorcycles? Or is that kind of like, nope? Our hobby is r driving our side-by-side, -side, going up into the Upper Peninsula in Michigan and riding the trails. We just came back from a three-and-a-half-week vacation up in the Upper Peninsula, I finally got my dream vacation. <laughs> so we never had time to do anything owning the racetrack. Definitely not in the summer. We didn't get to enjoy any of the three nice months Michigan has. So since our work 
was kind of canceled for COVID right now. We decided to head to the UP, get our vacation in, get all my side-by-side riding out so we can hit the road. I mean, it's a great transition. What is work now that you've sold the racetrack? What are you guys doing now? Well, part of it we I started doing before we sold the racetrack. In 2017, I started doing hurricane relief work. That's something I'll give a little bit of details on now. Is the company that we work for provides fuel to first responders and important infrastructure items. So Red Cross, police officers, fire trucks, things like that that are out taking care of the public safety and the issues because gas stations are typically down with no power and infrastructure is wiped out in areas where hurricanes come through. So that is part of what started doing in 2017 and we'll be doing going forward. And the other, because hurricane season is usually now, which is August through October, maybe into November. And the other part of the year now we are um, working with a company that I'm a heavy equipment operator and Erica as a laborer. It is a huge engineering company. They have a small construction crew who does jobs of cleaning up contaminated sites or working in potentially contaminated areas. We have to have all of OSHA safety training, the basic training, plus the what's called a HAZWOPER 40-hour training. And then different jobs have specialized hazardous material training that we have to do. And we travel all over the U.S. for that. They have jobs everywhere. And do you guys like petition for the jobs or is it just like they call you and say, hey, you got to go and be in Florida? I mean, the ones that we're talking about right now, the, the like the hazmat construction, not the hurricane. I get that the hurricane is you go where a hurricane's already hit. But in this job, do they like tell you ahead of time or do you petition? How does that work? We are technically part time. So they will call us and ask if we're available to go to different areas. But we both understand that we can't RV in the wintertime. So we're not going to be going into upstate New York in the middle of January, December. So in the warmer climates is where we can work. And part of that, we don't want to be in colder climates. We're looking forward to having a warm winter. (laughs) Yes. So there was a little bit of flexibility and they work with our schedule. And their schedule goes based on how the contracts come in. They try to do things in the northern states in the summertime and in the southern states in the wintertime but it doesn't work out that way. So if we have to sit out in the job, we will. With being pretty new into the company, I've had two jobs so far that they had started already when COVID hit. Um, one of them finishing up a job around Chicago area. And the other one we took on our first trip with our fifth wheel only a week after we moved into it. They called and asked if we can go to Tennessee to help finish up a job. So we were down there through the a month of April into May. Gotcha. And have you done any of the, the hurricane stuff yet at all? We have not yet in 2020. It's a little different viewpoint with having our home on wheels to travel to the hurricane areas. Previously, with having a sticks and bricks house, and we would get the call and we would go to the airport and fly with 50 pounds of luggage wherever we could go. And now one of us could potentially fly out beforehand but the other person had to catch up with the house and come to a site and it would have to be a site that would work with a camper lifestyle of not a site that is in the middle of a town we have to stay in a hotel you know there's a different contracts that work with different uh, living accommodations yeah most of the army corps sites we could not have our camper there but a state site is more open and in 
like an Army Corps site will say you have to have this many fuel trucks are allowed, this many personal vehicles, everyone has to park in this location, and it's very strict. In a state site is you just kind of take over an area and make your own base, and then we might be able to bring the camper on that and have both of us there. So with jobs like that that are kind of on call, what is your travel plans kind of moving forward? How do you guys see yourself traveling and also being very aware that you got to stay kind of in this area just in case, you know, during the hurricane season, you want to get out of this area in the winter. What is your travel plans looking like? Our travel plans are almost day to day. You know, right now we know we're on call that you can watch the weather and know if a storm is coming and what's going to happen and have a little bit of heads up. We've learned that over the years of getting caught off guard. If we were on a vacation and the storm came up and got called and we were there for one day and drove 12 hours back home to get on a plane. Did that twice in one year. So now we can be flexible to be in the area, knowing that our schedule needs to be available to go to a hurricane or with the construction job. They usually know, you know, a week to maybe four weeks in advance to be in a certain area so we can work towards those areas for that job. Yeah, so if we're in a job, say, in California, and the next one comes up in Kentucky, and they let us know, then we'll start planning our trip out there and trying to get a campsite that would be close to the job site. Yeah, I guess that was my next question. Do you guys stay in campgrounds, or do you guys set up boondocking and just hang out nearby kind of where the work is? But it sounds like it's just kind of traditional campgrounds. For, yeah, yeah, Steve's always dirty, so we definitely need lots of electricity and water to shower and get all the dirt off of his clothes. So when we're on a construction job, it's definitely campgrounds. And then on the way going to a job, we would boondock. Let's talk about maybe some of the just the, the newness of it. I mean, you guys, and trust me, when I first started out and I would talk to people, I'd say I've been doing it a year and they would call me a newbie. I was always kind of like, no one ever called me a newbie when I moved into my first apartment or my first house. But for some reason, you move into an RV and it's like you're a newbie. So I don't really like to use that term, but you guys are pretty new to the lifestyle. What have been some of the big changes that maybe you didn't see coming? I would say at this point, it hasn't been any big changes, but I'm used to rolling with the changes and things that pop up with the uh, owning the racetrack for 10 years. There was always something unexpected that would come up, whether it was during the week or in the middle of a race night, piece of equipment breaking that I had to get working so the race could go on, working around the weather, always some sort of changing environment that we would adapt to. So I know going forward that things are going to break, tires are going to fall off, so on and so on a list that happens with RVs going forward. I'm a jack of all trades, so I'm looking forward to fixing things and picking things up along the way. I recently went through the RVTI RV Training Institute, so which is, uh, I'm at the level one certification, but I know a lot more past level one that I could take care of our RV to fix it on the road. We know the issue with full-time RVing is getting your RV into a shop to have it fixed. So we're definitely a do-it-yourself unless the whole roof fell off of it. We're not going to plan on taking it into an RV dealership to do something like that. So in the winter, while we were hiding from the snow in the shed, I had tons of hours to do research and I knew I didn't know a whole bunch of stuff. So I went on to YouTube and watched every how-to video from every YouTuber I could possibly find and to learn what I didn't know so we would know what to expect and different things that would happen and that's where I found the RV school 
for him to go to so he could learn how the RV systems different from differ from a sticks and bricks. That way he could learn how to fix our stuff and keep us on the road. And we have a history of jumping in things with two feet and doing things <laughs> to the max and doing them really well. Took the racetrack that was abandoned for six years, renovated, opened it up to one of the top racetracks in Michigan and some other parts of the country. A lot of people would call us from different states and ask them questions and advice and how we do things and how things would get that way. When I started the business, it was just working, getting it open, construction. And when I met Erica, she came on full time with her marketing and business skills of turning business into more of a community environment, bringing people in to things that I would never think of to do that. I'm like, oh, you're crazy doing this stuff. And she would put time into it and do things and knew what she was talking about, how to talk to the market that we wanted to bring so we could bring crowd into the racetrack so we could have a full grandstand, which would the operation be profitable. Gotcha. What are your hours like now? What's a typical week? I mean, going from 80 to 100 hours a week to what are you guys working now? I don't think Erica ever slows down in their mind. <laughs> I might, no, I don't. Constantly listen to podcasts and YouTube videos and learning things. And right now she's uh, two feet in of jumped right into our YouTube channel and building our brand, uh, which is the Radar Road Warriors. And Erica can explain a lot better on what she's doing for that. Oh, well, right now, um, the jobs we're waiting. I mean, hurricane season is about two weeks out, we think. And so we're not, I'm physically not working on the job. And then the construction is, they have like a contract in about four weeks. Everything got shut down for COVID. And so I'm doing all the YouTube stuff and getting everything ready on the back end. And Steve is helping his brother build his house. His brother helped him build the racetrack and worked for him for three years. And he's been trying to get this house done, but has a whole bunch of different jobs he's doing. So Steve's been going over there and building from about 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. every single day. And since we're on a day by day right now, he tries to get as much done as he possibly can in case we get a call and we got to roll out tomorrow. Yeah, I was thinking going from, you know, 80 hours a week to, you know, RVing and obviously COVID as well. It's almost got to feel a little bit like how people go from working to retirement, where you might be going a little stir crazy because you just can't keep up the pace you're used to kind of keeping up. But ultimately, you didn't want to continue to work 80-hour work weeks anyways. You wanted to get down to kind of a normal schedule. And, you know, like how many weeks would you guys expect to be doing these types of jobs throughout a year anyways? Is it, is it like- About eight, eight months. About eight months out of the year. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So that's going to give you guys so much more kind of down or free time than you guys have been used to. That's really. Yes. Yeah, so we're, we're really excited to be like, go to an area and work. And then we'll have about a week or two weeks to go to the next job site. And then, so while we're traveling to the next site, we can see the areas plans to stop in different States, you know, pick the route that we want to go to and see sites that we want to see. And that was not an option before because we didn't ever have time to really even leave the property for the racetrack because we live there. And if we were going somewhere, we were like tradition traditional family going on the vacation of, oh, hey, there's a waterfall. Quick, you know, get a picture. Go back in the car. Let's go. We got to go. got to go. Yeah. So now it's so much more relaxed when we were just in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan for three weeks on vacation. And we could go do this one day. And if we didn't want to go anywhere, want to work on a couple of things and stay at home, you know, home is our camper, we could do that in the meantime. So it was much more relaxed environment, whole different mindset than what we had before. Yeah, I think you'll notice too, this is one of the things I've learned is that there's, there's some like really amazing moments 
in the first year. And then after that, it almost feels like there's not. And I think what I've learned is that before when I was in Sticks and Bricks and I went on vacation, it was such an adrenaline kind of high to be away. And this lifestyle, it just seems like there's always something new and cool. And after a while, that can almost seem like normal, everyday stuff. And it's funny that, you know, that that could definitely happen where you start to you know, I would hate that I would ever be the person because I saw this at Lone Rock in Arizona, Utah, where people would literally drive up, take a picture of the Lone Rock and get back in their car and leave. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to end up being that person. I want to sit there and look at the rock even, you know, and enjoy the water, get in the water, swim around the rock, kayak out to the rock and be able to really enjoy it. But for some reason, we, you know, whether you're bricks and sticks or even RVs, if you're doing a lot of it, it can start to plateau in a way, I guess is the word I'm looking for. But I, yeah. I do like hearing that you guys are looking for the uh, the exploring between jobs. What do you guys like to do when you're exploring? What is it you guys are kind of drawn to? Hiking, waterfalls, definitely getting out in nature, love listening to the waves crash on the shore somewhere. Have you guys had an opportunity to actually uh, stay on a beach yet? Not on the beach with a camper. Gotcha. In the tent I used to it at South Manitou Island, and I love that. Yeah, probably my favorite kind of stays have been on the sand in Texas, whether Magnolia Beach or like Surfside Beach in that area. Like I just, you know, being from California, one, you can't really drive on the sand. There's maybe like two beaches in all of California that still allow it. And then you get to camp for free. It was mind-blowing. Like, <laughs> you know, that this is free and there's not a million people doing it was really bizarre too, which is fine. I'm cool with not there being a million people there, but I just couldn't believe it. It's one of those moments where um, you just can't get your like head passed. What are you guys excited for in, in regards to a state? What's one that's been on a bucket list for your like, ah, this is, I can't wait till we get to go there. Just basically anywhere. I mean, Michigan's great in the summer, but we never got to do anything in the summer before. But just the fact that we can go out and have the opportunity to go anywhere that there's a possibility to do it because there was not, it was, oh, but you know, you worked really hard from April to September and then we started doing the hurricane relief. We got back to Michigan, fall was about one week left and then it was six months of snow and misery and coldness and then we'd start up again. So just opportunity, the yeah. world is out there for us. Yeah, I've never really experienced winter. Like, you know, that's just never been anything that's been in my background. But obviously in this lifestyle, I've met so many people where that is like a huge challenge where either they're snowbirds or they will say that they just don't get to explore. But you do bring up a really good point, you know, just because of your guys's work and then, you know, you guys, your high season was the exploring season in Michigan. I think a lot of people don't realize just how great their own state is. You know, even me in California, I just stuck to the things I kind of knew and didn't realize just how much there is to do outside of kind of my norm. And I think a lot of us, even when I hear people like, I want to go on vacation, and it's always where they get on a plane and they leave the United States. And now, after three years, I'm like, you guys can't believe what you can do here in the States. Like, there's stuff everywhere that's amazing. It's almost like explore home before you leave. And uh, I, I like hearing that you guys are uh, taking advantage a little bit of Michigan in a way that you probably haven't been able to. And we don't have any particular goals to see a certain area or certain states at some point, I can see us trying to knock off a couple more states, you know, to see all 50 states, the 50 that are in the whole continent. Yes, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Not continental, but. 
48 continental. Yeah, the, the 48 states that we can drive to with the RV. <laughs> you yeah, can drive I, to Canada, or you can drive to Alaska. If you want to. Yeah, for me, it's it's one of those things that really drives me nuts to have that Hawaii on my map. It's like, how <laughs> am I ever going to put a sticker on this? I don't get it. I don't even get why they, they put that on there. It's torture. This RV is never going to make it to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> even if they built a fridge. It goes that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this is awesome. I mean, I like hearing, you know, from someone that's kind of fresh and new to it. I'm I'm really stoked to hear you guys got out of something that was just, you know, kind of overwhelming and stressful, but sounds like you made it into a, a great business. And again, I mean, I can't believe your timing to get out of it when you did, which is amazing in itself. What I like to do here kind of in the, the wrap up is I, I like to do a high low and then I like to be able to where people can uh, find you because it is a really interesting story. And I think a lot of times people like to be able to reach out and ask questions. So even though you're, you're fairly new and I, I have three rules for the low, one is it can't be a flat tire, bad internet or COVID related. So what's been a low that maybe you just didn't expect in the RV lifestyle? And I know you guys sound like ones that just pushed through, but what's been a low that just got like, uh, this, I didn't expect this. Well, we got a little awakening on the first job, more or less. We moved into our fifth wheel the first week in April. A couple days later, got a call to finish up the job in Memphis, Tennessee. So we were down there working. It was downtown Memphis on a construction site. I was only one working for the company at the time. And before we got there, we knew they had some issues with some windows getting broke out on trucks on the street side, but they thought took care of some of those problems. And when I got there, had really heavy rains the week that we arrived. So we had to park our vehicles on the street. Between the construction site and the street was only around 200 feet, but there was one of those six-foot-tall fences at a construction site that had the green screen on it to keep the wind down and the dust from exiting and entering the, the site so much. In the middle of the afternoon, the project manager drives out of the site to go pick up some fuel for the equipment. He says, hey, Steve, you left your window down in your truck. You shouldn't do that in this area. I'm like, uh, it doesn't quite sound right. I walk out into the street and notice that the window is not left down. It was broken out, the back window on the truck that was parked in the street. The vehicle was ransacked through. They're trying to find anything of value in the truck. So we learned that used to living in Michigan, that you could leave keys in the vehicles outside in your house unlocked type of environment to different areas. You need to be very, to heighten the security level, to be aware of your surroundings a lot more than what we you know, were at that point. The only thing that we lost out of the vehicle that I could tell was the spare key fob I kept in the center console because the truck we had at that time, it was one of the ones that took the key fob out, left in your pocket, and the vehicle's dinging. And so if you left the vehicle running to the person inside, so I kept the spare inside for that reason is to take care of that problem. So after that day, we were able to work a spot in the job site, park a vehicle inside to take care of any future problems when we're wrapping up on the site. But we learned uh, a lot of things on security from that point. And with that, they took the key fob and it was push button. You didn't need a key. So we didn't know if they were just planning on stealing the key fob or if they're going to come back and steal the whole truck. And I told Steve every day, because we other people got their via, the windows broken out, like to take his phone out of the truck and keep it with him. And he said there wasn't any room and he didn't want to. And he put it in the back seat, tucked in really good. 
So after they took the key fob and I said, well, what happens if they just would have stole the whole truck? And then they would have took your phone too. You know, the truck would have drove away. So we changed a lot of stuff, put passcodes on our phone and on our computers, went through everything and then bought some extra security for our new truck that we purchased. Yeah, it's funny. I'm the opposite. So I came from, you know, Los Angeles. I'm the guy that, you know, for the first year locked everything. You know, just, I, I think I even locked my hitch into the truck, like full on got a cable lock because I was like, someone could take it and, you know, melt it down for the the value of the metal. But ultimately this lifestyle is, it's pretty incredible. I mean, I think someone once said that, you know, you, you lock stuff to keep the honest honest, because if someone wants in your RV or your truck, there's really not much you can do. You can just be as kind of smart and proactive as you can, but. I will say as someone that spent the majority of my adult life worrying about my stuff getting stolen, it's really been nice to leave a bike out and forget about it and come out and the bike's still there. You know, for a lot of people, they don't, they don't get that kind of freedom, but I can see how too, if you've come from that, it's got to be an interesting learning curve for sure. Well, I always locked my stuff. Like we didn't have to, but I'm always locked my things we just watched a whole bunch of videos after it happened and then watching how quick someone can just break a window in 10 seconds and still you know if you have a purse or a camera sitting in your passenger window and just drive off yeah i'd made a a newbie mistake we were boondocking in new mexico and we were going to leave the rig it was the first time boondocking we're going to leave the rig and just you know in my non kind of mechanical mind said you know what if i i pull the emergency brake and that way you know, if they try to drive it, if the brakes are locked, not realizing that that's an electric brake system that's going to run the brake kind of the entire time I'm gone. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah. And so then, you know, at two in the morning, the battery's dying and beeping inside the rig. <laughs> the battery's dead. This makes no sense to me, but it was just one of those learning mistakes. And I've always, it's been weird. I've always felt like, you know, especially with our levelers, like I wish that had a pin code, you know? Because if all your legs are down and someone wants to manually lift all your legs to drive off with your rig or, you know, control your slides, blah, 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 it's, it's possible because I've had to, I've had a situation where I had to manually lift one of my legs. It's possible, but it's a lot of work where right now it's just as easy as opening a psych apartment and turning it on. I'm like, I, there's no reason this thing couldn't have like a little pin code where I have to put in a pin to be able to activate, you know, to lift the legs. And that would be one kind of interesting deterrent you know, from someone stealing it when it's, you know, you're away from your rig. That's very true. And us as a peace of mind, we added the ring security system. So there's two cameras inside, one outside and door sensors and motion sensors. If someone was to trigger the alarm when we were gone at a job site, because we travel with our four cats, so we don't want any issues with them. We can always take care of that problem, keep an eye on them as we're traveling. So that's a thing we upgraded after the first trip. Gotcha. No, that's very cool. Well, let's uh, talk about a high. What's been a, a high since you've been full-timers? We just say the opportunity to go, to be able to leave and go somewhere. Yeah, because it sounds like you guys can say no to work too if you want to, right? Yes. Yeah, we have it set up where the construction job, we're available 10 months out of the year. And then September and October, we're taking off, except for this year because it's COVID and everything's screwed up where we can do hurricane work if the hurricane comes in. And if not, then we can go on vacation. We can come back to Michigan, see our friends, family. And then at the last two weeks of October, we're going to set up all of our doctor's appointments 
and then November we'll get on the road again when it starts getting cold here in Michigan. Gotcha. Sounds like an awesome plan. Well, if people want to reach out to you guys, where can they find you? I know we talked a little bit about the YouTube channel and Instagram, but I want to make sure people know exactly where they can find you. And I'll link all this down below, but uh, let people know where they can find you. Yep, we are at Radar Road Warriors on Instagram, Facebook, and on YouTube. YouTube, we're doing videos. And then Instagram's our main area. Facebook, everything's just kind of going over there, you know, via Instagram. And then we also have our camper cats on Instagram, and that's camper underscore cats. They're very popular. A lot of people were sad when we left the racetrack and they weren't going to get to see videos and pictures of our cats all the time. So I set up their own channel over there. Where did you guys come up with the name? I haven't been asking this, but I feel like I need to ask, where did the name, the idea for the name come up? Well, it's on our video on our YouTube channel that I just put out last week. We get this question a lot. So our camper's name is Radar because in 2018, the first time we, I really went on a trip and I wanted to get an RV after that first trip, we borrowed a camper to go to a racetrack. We were watching the radar because we thought the event was going to get rained out because they got around every day we're getting like tons of rain. And then while we were there, we got the first call to go to the first hurricane. And so we went on the hurricane, we came back. And then again, we were trying to go to the upper peninsula of Michigan and go on a fall color tour. And the upper peninsula was getting a whole bunch of rain and I was going to cancel. We're going to do a three day trip and it was going to get cold. The first day was going to be nice. So I decided, okay, I'll go because I've been trying to go on a fall color tour since 2015 and it's not happening. And then we got up there. And four hours into it, we got a call that Hurricane Michael was coming in and we had to drive, turn around and drive back. So we were watching the radar for all those. And then Road Warriors is because we drive all over the United States for work. I love it. I love the name. I love the meaning <laughs> behind it. And I think it's something I'm going to start adding to the, the show is asking people where they came up with their name. I mean, unless it's, you know, Steve and Erica RV. I'd <laughs> be like, okay, I get where the name comes from. Yeah, Erica, I saw sorry. your Instagram post last week. It was very interesting to read the comments when you guys asked that where people got their names from. I read everyone's responses to that. Yeah, it's something I, I wouldn't mind doing in the magazine at some point. And then obviously now it's something I definitely want to add to the podcast because it is interesting to hear the story behind it sometimes when, I mean, I, mine is just my personal name. So you know, you'd have to ask my parents why they named me. <laughs> it's really more about them than me. And I guess it's in regards to the naming of it. But I think there's always an interesting story. So that one, the first one that I've asked, it worked out really good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that it was actually a good story because it could be tricky too. Like, oh, we don't really like to talk about it. You know, you know, <laughs> you know, kind of You're like, cut that out of the podcast. Exactly. Well, Steve, Erica, I really appreciate you guys uh, hanging out with me today and talking and sharing your story. And I hope to meet you on the road at some point. Well, thanks for having us and we appreciate your time and we'll look forward to hearing your podcast on the road. Thanks you guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Well, another fun episode and a quick update. Steve and Erica are actually down in Louisiana working with first responders, helping those affected by Hurricane Laura. If you want more information about what they are doing, head over to Instagram and search for Radar Road Warriors or just click on their links in the show notes on your podcast player. Also, just a friendly reminder, if you like the Rootless Living podcast or the magazine, make sure to let your friends know by sharing us on your favorite social media channel. It's a really big help in getting the word out. And also start using the hashtag Rootless Living, and that way we can share it as you share it. 
And like always, if you think you know someone that could make a good guest, or that guest might even be you, please send us an email at podcast at rootlessliving.com, and let's see if we can help tell your story. Until next week, stay rootless.